I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work Coronavirus Edition. So I've been interviewing people, uh, all lots of different people. And so today, I have a very special guest, someone that I worked with for many years, who uh, I, he's, he was a longtime pro player. So I would, I'd like to welcome Matt Place. Hey, what's up, Mark? Hey. Okay, so Matt, let's start in the very beginning. How exactly did you first learn about magic? Uh, first learned about magic, my little brother, Dan Burdick, who you worked with at Wizards as well, uh, he called me from the comic book store. We were big into comics as kids, and he called me and said, there's a card game here that's Dungeons & Dragons with cards. And I didn't understand what that meant, but I knew I had to play this game. Uh, I didn't have a card, so I couldn't get to the comic book store that day. Uh, eventually, you know, my dad drives us there. We buy some cards. It was, uh, it was awesome getting into the game. We basically dove headfirst. Went crazy for the game right away. How, how old were you when uh, this was? Yeah, I think we were, we were uh, I had just graduated high school, so 17, and Dan was either 14, 13, somewhere around there. Uh, and yeah. what's, what set was it? It was revised. We started um, two weeks before Legends came out. So we, uh, we basically went crazy. We got as many Legends packs as we could, uh, and yeah, it was awesome. We, uh, we, um, there was, we kind of started where there was a lot of cards that were harder to get, right? All the old Moxes, the Lotus, and everything. So we had this huge list of cards we couldn't get our hands on just because they were so hard to trade for. And uh, so Legends coming out and giving us a way to have some cards that other people wanted kind of began the trading game for us, right? We could actually trade. My little brother, Dan, he got uh, traded an Elder Dragon for a Pearl, Mox Pearl. And we all just, you know, blew our minds, right? Oh, my gosh, we actually have one of the power cards. Uh, yeah, so a lot of the early game for us actually was trading. It was awesome. So do you remember the quirky thing about the Legends packs? Oh, yeah, they each had an insert, right, that told you the rule. No, they did. They did. That's what they're talking about. Um, there, was oh, a, yeah. there was a mess up in Legend packs. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Do you remember what this is? Yes, A and B box. I totally remember. Yes, yes. So yeah. for, those, for yeah. those that might not have been around back in 1994, um, there, was a, the, there were two sheets. The uncommons were in two sheets. And due to an error, they didn't get mixed. So any box either had the A sheet or had the B sheet. But the, uh, that meant that any one box only had half the uncommons. And so right. you had to go trade with somebody that had the other box. Yeah, we, we actually went to the other side of Kansas City. Kansas City is like pretty big uh, you know, area. And they had the other boxes. So whatever we had, we had A, they had B. And they had never seen any of our uncommons. Yeah. So we were trading. It was awesome. We were trading for all these old cards. Yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, what a crazy mix-up, right? It just it because you didn't have rarity back then, so a lot of people thought that those uncommons they'd never seen were like ultra rare, right? Yeah, they just never seen them. Uh, yeah, kind of funny. But yeah, we we dove right in and uh, yeah, just played tons of magic and started to get a little bit competitive in those early days, right? Mostly trading. We didn't really know about the competitive scene, right? It was still hadn't the pro tour hadn't started back then yet. Uh, but we went to Gen Con that year and so ninety uh, four later. Yeah, 94, yeah. Okay. Zach, Zach Dolan's Gen Con, right? Yeah, I, I was there too, so we were both at yeah, Gen Con. Yeah, yeah. I probably, you know, saw you there, and I just <laughs> didn't know who you were at the time, because we didn't meet till later, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Right. Uh, but yeah, I remember uh, standing behind Zach Dolan, I'm just like... Just did you play? Did you play in 94 Worlds? I did. I, you know, I made top 64. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't make... I uh, I had this little weenie deck that was, a, I thought, a very good deck, right. but I ran into two decks that were just like... Or sorry, ran to one deck that was made to beat it, and it was single elimination. So right, right, right. I did not make it to the to top sixty four. Yep, same story. I faced uh, Spirit Link uh, and um, the Orc. Oh, what's his name? Uh, that shoots Orcish Catapult. Yeah, that shoots 
with Spirit Link killed my weenie deck as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember standing behind Zach Dolan and just being like, this guy's the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to win a ton of money and a ton of boxes. It was really cool. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. You went. So, how did you get involved in competitive magic? Well, so locally, before the Pro Tour, they started running a few like $100 tournaments, which was kind of mind blowing, right? And, uh, you know, I started going to college before the first PT, and a local uh, tournament at VisionCon, it was called. They said, all right, everybody, we're not going to run the rounds for you. You guys have to do the pairings. Everybody put a $5 bill in this brown box, and whoever wins gets all the money. And uh, so, you know, we started playing, and we're running our pairings ourselves, and I end up winning. And I was like, what am I, why am I going to college? You could just win $255 playing Magic. What am I doing? So, and it was actually, you know, I changed my path, right? Uh, the Pro Tour came out uh, the next year, right? It was in January of 95? February, I think early February 95? February, okay, yeah. I think I think it was like February 2nd or something. Okay, okay. so yeah, I guess the semester after I started, it's uh, been a while. Um yeah, and it was just amazing going to the Pro Tour, seeing how much mat- magic mattered to you know to the everybody there. Right, it was such a big deal, and um, the idea of winning a Pro Tour just became like an obsession. Right, like this is the ultimate thing to do. Uh, you know, meeting people like Scaff and all the people running it, it was great. The uh, I remember looking at the wall, and it said, "Oh, we're going to run." You know, it had like list. I don't remember this, but it said like, "Here's all the other tournaments, and here's how much money it's going to give away," and it was a total of a million dollars or more. Mm-hmm. For that first year of Pro Tours, I yeah. was just thinking, how is this possible? <laughs> you know, this is just crazy cool. So, yeah, went all in. Okay, so you, you go all in. So let's talk a little bit about mites. Pro Tour mites. Oh, mites. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, flew out there. Uh, so it was in yeah, a castle, was, right? <laughs> right, it was in a castle, right. So in Germany. In Germany, right. And this is, uh, what, 97, I forget, September, November, somewhere around there. And... Uh, yeah, ended up winning the Pro Tour. And, you know, for a long time it was, we would talk about just how great it would be, right? Like it was an obsession with me and some of my friends, you know, Brian Weitzman, one of my best friends, uh, want to win a Pro Tour, wants to win a Pro Tour. And then it actually happened. It was totally surreal. Um, and this was one of the first 10 Pro Tours, so it was still new, you know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Actually got there. Who would you play in the finals? Uh, the very finals was Steve O'Mahoney-Schwartz, <laughs> uh, an old friend. Uh yeah, it was crazy. It was uh, it was it was a uh, Rochester draft, so it was the version where you you know everything's face up, which uh, you guys don't do anymore. For yeah, reason, I think. But, so yeah. But real real quick, there's a few people that might not know Rochester draft. Instead of keeping the thing in your hand where no one can see it, all the you open up one pack, all the cards are laid out, and then players take turns picking any of the cards that are up. And then you sort of snake back and forth. So you go one through eight, and then eight picks the second time. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Right. And in addition, so it's, it's crazy just to see what everybody's picking, right? But in addition to that, you also knew you were playing the player directly across the table from you. So in the top eight of the Pro Tour, I'm drafting red-black. You know, thought it was good. You know, had a lot of good buyback cards back in Tempest, right? And my opponent for round one, uh, Bishop, Chris Bishop, he was playing uh, COP red, COP black. That's what he decided to draft. And <laughs> Not good for a black-red deck. I was... Yeah, and I was like, wow, really? This is how I go out in the top eight. My opponent's just main decking game one, five COPs against me. Uh, and somehow I win that matchup. But, yeah, I remember just feeling that, like, oh, my gosh. You know, just a sinking feeling of, wow, this is how I'm, this is how I'm going out. Okay, so the, the next – okay, I'll, I'll tell you my next big moment for you and I. See if uh, – I think was the World Championship in Berlin. Is that right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, so what, what happens in Berlin? Well, in Berlin, uh, I, I, so I hadn't played Magic in a while, and I went there with, uh, a, on my rating, right? So back then you could still be qualified for stuff on rating. So I hadn't played in a while, but my rating was still high enough. I went there, and, you know, I did medium, right? Did okay in, the, in some of the formats, but didn't do great. And I happened to sit down with uh, Richard Garfield for breakfast one of the mornings. And I hadn't thought too much about it, right? The idea of working at Wizards was always like a, wouldn't that be cool? But I didn't really focus on it. So I just threw it out, you know, like, hey, Richard, what should I do if I want to get a job there? And he's like, oh, you should talk to Mark and Randy. And so I did. You know, we knew each other, of course, from all the, all the days back in the Pro Tour days. And, yep. uh, yeah, so I, I ended up doing the spotting for the tournament and chatting with you guys. And, uh, yeah, and then after chatting with you, got the, eventually got the job. So, real quickly, so Randy and I um, used to do the video commentary at, at the time on the last day. I, I, was, I was the producer and Randy was uh, the, one of the commentators. Um, and I remember you coming up to me, it was like at brunch. This is my memory of it. Is, yeah. uh, I, I think the, the hotel we were staying in had like a free breakfast or something, like a little b b buffet. And you came up to me during that and you're like, I want to work at Wizards. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I'll see, I'll see what we can do. Yeah. Um, and I, I was a big advocate for you because uh, you and I were friends and I, I thought you would be a great uh, contribution or a great addition, which, well, you, which, you. Yeah. Which, which you were. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, thank you for being an advocate for me. It is crazy how much that changed the trajectory of my life working at Wizards. Yeah. Okay, so what was it like coming to work at Wizards? You're, you're a Pro Tour player. I mean, Magic's been part right. of your life for a long time. When did you start? What year did you start at Wizards? Started um, September of 2003. 2003. So you right. started playing in 94. So yep. you, were you at the first Pro Tour? Yeah, yeah. So you were at the first Pro Tour in 2005. So eight years later, past that, uh, you start working Wizards. What was that like? It was amazing. I, I, it was also nerve-wracking. So I was working for Brian Schneider, you know, who worked for Randy, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I came in and basically to be a play tester was my role, right? Build some decks, try to break, break things so that the balance that we, you know, eventually ship is better. Uh, and it was nerve-wracking, right? I didn't, didn't know game design, you know, wasn't sure how I was going to do. Uh, and I show up and Brian Schneider, good friend as well, to this day, he, uh, he's like, okay, let's build some decks. We, Dawn was still in, uh, it was in pencils down mode, we called it, right? So yeah. uh, you weren't supposed to change things, but you could, right? And uh, so I'm playing, and I'm like, oh, hey, I think uh, this Ironworks card um, is too good. Let's up the cost. And Shiner's like, yeah, we'll change it to four. Uh, turns out <laughs> turns out, still very good at four. <laughs> uh, the other one that I, I only changed two cards in the set, right? And the other one was uh, Serum Vision. Okay. It used to be an instant. And it's still tier one, so yeah, yeah. So I feel good about. Okay, so it was fifth dawn was your first set. Yeah, first fifth fifth dawn was the first set I actually got to make an impact on. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, one of the people I interviewed relatively recently was Aaron Forsyth, um, oh, and fifth dawn was the first set that he had done work on because at okay. the time he was running the website, and we brought him on fifth dawn to quote unquote wrote an article, but he ended up sort of proving his chops, and we ended up hiring him in R and D. So you and he must have started around the same time in R and D. Yeah, he had. Yeah, he was there. I think maybe not a year, but many months before me, because uh, I was at the very tail end of Fifth Dawn. Yeah, right. Well, he. Uh, he I don't think he was in R and D during Fifth Dawn, or did he oh, come in I, at the end? No, right. Yeah, when I started, he was still on the web team. That's yeah. Right. Okay. And it wasn't too long. I feel like it was within the first couple months that he moved on. Yeah, yeah. He moved pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Oh, 
Also, 2003, just I try to give people some time frame. Uh, December of 2003, I mean, you started earlier in the year, but December 2003 is when I became head designer, so. Um, okay, yeah. That's anyway. all I remember is you being head designer, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was head designer most of your time there, but. Uh, 98% so. of the time I was there, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so the you worked a fifth up. So what was the first set, the first team you were on? The first team was um, Kamigawa, I guess, right? Is that right? Were you on the design or development? It might have been Ninth Edition. They're close, right? Um, you were development, I, I assume, right? Right. I was not on initial design. I was right. on development. Because it's funny. Um, Champs of Kamigawa, I was on the development team. I, I did no design in the, the Kamigawa block, but I was on the development team for Champs of Kamigawa. Yeah. Oh, funny. So we, so we were, we were on the team together. together. Yeah, that might have been our first team together. Yeah, I, I got to be on a lot of... You did development teams, what, at least once a year. And oh, I yeah. Back, back in the day, well... Way, way, way back in the day, I did a lot of development teams, but around the time you were there, I'd maybe do one a year. Yeah. Um, i do a bunch of designs, but I wasn't, at that point, I uh, once I became head designer, I was doing, I did a little less development, but um, but the funny thing is, Champs of Kamigawa, um, both, uh, like, Splice was mine, and that wasn't introduced until uh, until development. Oh, okay. Um, and, and flip cards didn't happen to development, because... Uh, Richard had an idea. He and I had been talking about something, and I, I he he had an idea, and I expanded upon it. And so, um, I did some design for the set, but all of it was done in development. None of it was done in design. Right, right, right. And so, so the I remember that before it went into development, it was one of the craziest that I experienced. Just like the turmoil with the main set, right during the the initial design. Yeah, uh, it went through a lot of changes. It went through a lot yeah. of changes and different leads on it. Yeah, it was crazy, but uh, yeah. Okay, so you were on Ninth Edition. You were on Champs of Kamigawa. What was the first design team you were on? You remember that? Oh, first design team was a while. It wasn't the first few years. What was the first design team? I was on Zendikar. Okay, was that was that was Zendikar your first design? Technically, it was Tenth Edition, I guess. Okay, that doesn't really count, right? That's well, look, of course, that's at the time didn't have new cards. Right. It wasn't until twenty uh, Magic twenty ten that it had new cards. So. Yeah, be, being on a core team in the early days, design-wise, was not... You were picking where cards went in, but... Yeah, yeah, it was actually the lead for the initial, which was basically just, hey, architect this, right? Yeah, and yeah. Six players, the group of cards. It was also doing a lot of the beginner products back then, so, you know, kind of tying that together and then trying to make the draft possible and fun, too. Um, yeah, but not like a real initial design. Yeah, so Zendikar definitely... So, so what, that. what do you remember of Zendikar design? What, what, I, I, ran, I ran the team, obviously, but what what do you remember of Zendikar Design? Zendikar Design was one of my favorite experiences there. Uh, I know for years you had been talking about, uh, you know, making lands matter, right? That had been a plan that you'd had, you know, for however long. You could tell me. Uh, but I know you've been mentioning it for years. And I'd like to tease you, right? Because you would say, well, we're going to make a set where lands matter. I'm like, finally. Finally <laughs> lands are going to matter in Magic together. But, uh, yeah, no, the set was awesome, right? We, uh, we had Pretty clear direction from the beginning. Maybe you remember it differently. Uh, adventure World, right? And well, Adventure, it didn't start Adventure World. Oh, where did it start? It started with lands. Lands are going to matter. And then we spent a couple right, months right. like figuring out how to make lands matter. Oh, and then yeah. once we solved that, then Doug had the idea of making Adventure World. But it, it didn't start Adventure World. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, we were call, I used to call it Lands of Palooza for a while. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, the design on the set was awesome. We, you know, we had... Uh, I think good camaraderie. Graham Hopkins was on the set as well. I remember. Uh, yeah, Doug Doug Byer was on the the team. Graham was on the team. Who's yeah, the fifth I remember, person? I remember the terrible version of Lance Matter we had at the beginning was 
discard lands to do stuff. Turns out just playing them is a lot more fun. Oh, yeah, we, we had a mechanic where, like, uh, <laughs> don't play a land this turn, you get to do something. Right. And then oh, just, man. you had no land in it. <laughs> it was not fun. We did the opposite of fun, and then we audibled into... Right. Well, the funny thing is we did that, and then we said, what if we did the absolute opposite of this? <laughs> yeah. Turns out way better. Yeah, yeah, it was a good set. It was a good set, yeah. Um, so what do you, what, what is your, um, your contribution to Zendikar? What's the thing you remember sort of like, here's the thing I like, I was proudest of in Zendikar? Um, well, at the same time, it was basically Zendikar was our first set. Uh, Alara, we kind of retroed this in. But you and I worked together on something that was basically, what, where, should, where should we write a new complexity, right? How do we do complexity in a way that we keep all the depth without making cards that are, you know, um, Ice Cauldron, right? Ice Cauldron being an example of, like, I don't remember exactly what it does. I read it twice. I still don't know what it does type of card, right? Well, real, real quickly for the, for the audience. Um, yeah. uh, Matt is talking about New World Order. Uh, Matt and I were the creators of New World Order. So right. let, let's actually let's, we'll back up a little bit because yeah. Zendikar is Pat. So let's, let's, this is important. Let's back up. So do you remember the impetus that led to New World Order? Yeah, Aaron actually talked about this in his interview. Yeah, do you remember? Do you remember what it was? It was Lorwyn. But what? Yeah, what is your answer? Well, uh, uh, morning the employee the employee pre release for Morning Tide. Oh yes, 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 yes. Where like everybody played a game and left because like I can't I can't handle because what we had done this was all my doing by the way. Uh, Lorwyn had tribal race tribal, and then uh, Morning Tide had class <laughs> tribal. Oh my god. Yeah. I thought it was a good idea, but it was a little uh, overwhelming from a mental standpoint. Well, uh, yeah, all we could do is get better, right? <laughs> and then what, it, well, so real quickly, what had happened was Time Spiral Block had happened the year before, and we had gone a little crazy on, on complexity. Uh, my joke was that Future Sight had almost as many mechanics in it as existed in Magic before it. Right. Um... And so we pulled back on um, sort of what we call comprehension complexity. So the cards weren't that hard to read. But Lorwyn, we made a completely different mistake, which was the board complexity was crazy. It's like all these cards interacted and like, I have 10 cards in play and 18,000 things could happen. How can I track what's going on? And I think Morning Tide was kind of the absolute crux of that because not only do you have to care about races, but you had to worry about classes. And every card was both a race and a class, but they weren't all the same. And right. it just became mind-melting to, to follow. So you and I, this was something, you, you and I talked a lot about it. So how, how did we get to New World Order? Well, we, wanted, we knew that there were a lot of designs and cards in Magic that had all the depth, right? That might be short text boxes, right? Might be very comprehensible. It didn't go hand-in-hand, hand, right? The idea of high complexity means depth. Sometimes it means that. But we wanted to explore how do we do that without, how do we get all the depth without the complexity and what would that mean? And basically we, we, we retrofitted that, those ideas into the Alara block. But Zendikar was the first full-on, from the beginning, we are trying to do, you know, the depth without the, the problems of complexity. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and so, you know, word count, um, the size of minions was also part of it that, you know, we were talking about just like, how do you, what does it feel like to go from common to uncommon to rare? And then, you know, we just introduced mythic and, um, and wanting that to feel like it's scaled up in complexity as well. Right. Avoiding the, uh, and this one was very controversial, I think for, you know, reasonable reasons, right. Avoiding the Samite healers economy, right. Samite is 
perfect. So real quickly, Samite Healer, just yeah. once again, not everybody, not everybody's an old timer like us, Matt. Right, um, right, right, right. Samite Healer is a, a one-one creature that you can tap to prevent one damage to any target, basically. Right. So his complexity is not at all in the concept, right? Do you understand what this card does? Yes. Right. It prevents one damage. It's great. Right. Cool design. But you know, the the when you're playing, what are the possibilities that can happen when somebody has a Samite? What if you don't pay attention to the Samite? What happens? Well, you send your three three, you know, your hill giant into their hill giant, right? And you just lose your hill giant, right? And how much do I need to think about your side of the board when I'm making these plays? And it rubbed a lot of people wrong inside of R and D to say that Samite's actually a big offender, and maybe he's not supposed to be a common anymore, right? Maybe he's supposed to be higher rarity so that we stop making such complex boards. And, uh, and so we did that, right? We started moving stuff up to let the, you know, complexity be <laughs> a bit more. You, you get into it at higher costs or higher rarities, right? Yeah, so one of the big, real quickly, one of the big things that I think, I mean, you and I spent a lot of time on this problem, and the big, like, the eureka moment was, it's not that we didn't want magic to have complexity. We just wanted to make sure that the complexity um, ramped up as you got into the game so that when you first started playing, it wasn't as complex as it was, you know, in your 10th year. Right. And the big eureka moment we had was that it was about rarity, that that really, that commons, that when you open a magic pack, most of the cards you open are a common. So if I've only opened up three or four packs, mostly what I have is commons. And the big, what we realized was... If we could control the complexity of common, if we could really monitor it, that that really is what New World Order is about. It's not about lowering complexity of the whole set. In fact, right. some of the higher rarities get more complex, but common gets less complex. And that right. was, you and I, when we first pitched this, it took r and a little while to get on board because what we were saying is there are things that we always do at common that we shouldn't do at common. Uh, Semi Healer was a good example. Like, you know, Tim-style effects is another thing. Like, anything in which I'm doing combat, and if that thing exists, I have to do all this math to understand what's going on. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think a lot of the discussion in R&D was helped by, you know, us saying, yes, at higher rarities, we could even, like you just said, we could even be more complex because we're not trying to dumb the game down at all, right? If we have an awesome design that's going to be tons of fun for the advanced player, we should put it in the set, right? We should never say no to cool stuff, right? Right, but, I mean, it really made us rethink about commons, the role of commons. Um, and a lot of people, I think, when they hear New World Order, they, they assume a lot of things that it, that's not what it is. And really, the crux of New World Order is, how do we control complexity at common to help the newer, less experienced player sort of make the game not quite as complex for that person? Because the idea, the big idea here is, if I buy four packs, mostly what I have is commons. But right. if I buy hundreds of packs, I'm not focused on commons anymore, you know. And that as you buy more packs, you, you change your focus on what rarity you focus on. And so, anyway, I remember we, we made a big document. This was for the behind the scenes here. It wasn't like Matt and I said, let's do this. And everybody's like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> we had to kind of sell it. And we had to do We did a big presentation and we wrote a giant... There's a document somewhere we, that we were, you and I wrote together. Um, and it really took a while to sort of... I mean, they R&D did come around. They did get it. But, I mean, it took a little bit of salesmanship on our part to sort of explain to everybody why this mattered and why it was important and what constitutes a red flag. And, you know, right. it, it, it took a while to get there. Yeah, and 
and I think over the years it was just so healthy for Magic to kind of have that almost reset in terms of how do you look at complexity. Because I'm sure we were wrong about a lot of the stuff we were saying, and you know, more learning was yet to be done on like what's the right way to do it. But I think it was just really good because we kind of we certainly lost our way in uh, in Lorwin and, and uh, Time Spiral, right? Like the joke I like to tell, you know, when we're designing Time Spiral is uh, yeah, specifically specifically Future Sight is, uh, you know, we come up with something that's like, hey, isn't this a bad design? Isn't this too complex? And the answer was like, yeah, but what if it wasn't? This is huge tonight. What if it wasn't? What if we did this? Right? <laughs> and it's like, uh-oh, and then we ship those. Whoops. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, the, the, the funny thing... Reset. Yeah, the funny thing about Time Spiral Block was, on some level, it was us playing at a very high level. Like, Planar Chaos is a good example. Like, if you really, really right. understand the color pie... There was some neat experimentation we were doing, but if you don't, it was just like we were just messing with the color pie, and now it, you, you, we confused you what it meant, you know? Right. right. Um, even to this day on my blog, people all the time are like, but this card exists in Planar Chaos. And I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? Right. So, okay, so you were on the design for Zendikar. Um, did you work on anything else in Zendikar Block? Say it again, sorry. Did you work on anything else in Zendikar Block? Yeah, let's see. Um, right, I was the so the third set, Rise of Eldrazi. I was the lead dev. Was that your first lead dev? No, my first was all the way back um, in Ravnica, original Ravnica, believe it or not. Okay, what was your what was your first lead dev? Dissension. Dissension. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was Aaron's first lead as a designer, right? Yeah, yeah, we got to team up. Yeah. 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 Okay, so your first lead. Uh, uh, what do we say, dev? We mean development. So. Right. Before the the current system right now, we have vision design, set design, play design. Before that, for many, many years, we had design and development is what we called it. Um, and Matt was on the development team, so Matt led development teams. I mean, he also was sometimes on design teams, but I don't, you never led a design team, I don't believe. Yeah, um, just, a, just a base set, not a real set. Right. No. Um, okay, so your first lead development was Dissension. What was your second? Second. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Before we get to that, what was it like leading? To, like you, you led a Ravnica set. What was that like? Uh, you led development of a Ravnica set. Well, honestly, it was an honor, right? Like if you look at the set surrounding Ravnica, Ravnica is a total gem, right? Like it is a shining star relative to other sets that were made back then. But uh, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Um, it was fun. It was you know first experience for me. There's so many things back then that I understand now that I didn't know then. Um, but it was actually probably one of the easier ones, right? Because the Ravnica block in general was so structured, and because it was the third, and we knew what cycles and what where we were at with the other sets, we kind of it was you know a lot of the slots were plug and play, right? Okay, now we need the you know the hybrid uncommon for this you know new color pair, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, well, also notice that the set had its first time design lead and first time development lead. The structure was we felt more comfortable letting people sort of right. you know it was a good first set to work on. Yeah, it makes sense to what the noobs do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, and we added a little bit, right? We wanted a twist, so we came up with the uh, the split card gold cards, right? Yeah, yep. Uh, kind of showed on it. Yeah, that was a lot of fun working on those. Those are fun cards. Yeah, yeah, they so definitely were. Player for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what was your what was your second? By the way, it was crazy too. You know, like hearing from Dan just how R and D works these days, which I don't totally understand anymore. <laughs> but just the size, right? Like, is it? Like, how many times bigger is R&D oh, now? Oh, it is infinitely bigger. <laughs> um, so stu Studio X, we, we, we reconfigured how we... Uh, Studio X, which is the tabletop magic group 
Now, given it involves printers and graphic designers, and so it's more than just old school R and D. But I mean, we're well, well over a hundred people. That I don't even understand that. Cause, yeah, because if you were to say how many people in R and D when we were on our, you know, when it was when I was there, it was you know eight to nine, maybe ten full time. R&D. When, right? when I started, there were four of us that just did every set. That that's what oh, that was wow. magic R&D. Yeah, crazy. So we had doubled or more yeah. when I was there. But yeah, it was, you know, not a dozen people, right? And then there was the other people that worked on, you know, maybe other projects in the company that would also be team members on sets. Yeah. Um, you well, would kind of count too, right? But, right. Back, back, back in the day, R&D also, we made more games. There was a point where we made more games and... Uh, when I was talking to Aaron, we chatted about this a little bit. Like he he did the G, the uh, GI Joe. Joe TCG and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, um, with Devin Lowe, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, okay, so we're almost. I'm almost. I'm almost to work here. Um, believe it or not, I'm I'm almost to my den. Um, so as a, as a wrap up here. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna. Uh, what was let's finish by talking about dissension. What was your favorite part of dissension? What what was the thing that you were like proudest of? Um, let's see. What was I proudest of? Um, I mean, I loved the draft format just of, of the whole block, right? It was super fun. People loved it for years and years and years. People would name it as their favorite. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of a lot of things. I'm, I, I like the core mechanics that we did for each of the, uh, for the pairs, right? Rakdos and, and all the other ones. The, uh, yeah, Rakdos and Azorius, Azorius and, um, Simic. Yeah, and, you know, could have done better maybe in hindsight with Azorius, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it was fun to work on. You know, it's hard to remember everything we went through so many years ago. It's crazy. Is that like... Yeah, it's it's a long time ago. ago? We're yeah. old men. We're old men. Maybe you don't know that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so anyway, Matt, I am uh, pulling up to the den, as they say. So, um, I want to thank you for being here. And uh, hopefully uh, the audience enjoyed hearing about uh, a lot of old school magic. Uh, but anyway, unfortunately, since I've arrived at the den, we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my drive to work. So uh, instead of talking magic with, with uh, Matt here, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you for joining us, Matt. Thank you. It was fun. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.